Hi everybody, Dan Duva here, radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Vegas Golden Knights. Welcome to Hockey in June. It's SLGND, the Sheriff, Lawless, and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. The Stanley Cup final, even at one win apiece between the Golden Knights and the Capitals as the series shifts to Washington, D.C. So we take the podcast on the road and we examine what happened in the Knights 6-4 win in Game 1 and the Caps 3-2 victory in Game 2. From unlikely heroes to finding consistency. For the quiz, how about the play of Shea Theodore? Want Tom Wilson on your team? How officials have handled things? Razor fold on the Cup Final schedule? And much, much more. The Stanley Cup Final continues with SLGND on the road. The Sheriff Wallace and Some Guy Named Dave podcast, presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave. All right, Dan Duva, thanks very much. On the road with the Sheriff Wallace, Some Guy Named Dave podcast, Stanley Cup Final Edition from the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., as we get set for the next two games of the Cup Final between the Golden Knights and the Washington Capitals. This is, boy, what a treat this is to see you, you two guys here. So this is the setup. Tyler Pico, our fine, um, I don't know what your title is, title doesn't really matter, jack of all trades. We're in Tyler Pico's room. He's Brian Wilson. He's lying Bri- in his bed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, of course, we're always brought to you by the D Hotel, even though we're sitting in D.C. for this podcast. Me, the lawman, and Shane Knighty, what a trio, all sitting on the same couch at an early hour for us with the time change. So expect, lower your expectations. If you didn't expect much from the podcast before, we're encouraging you to lower the bar with what we're going to do. I feel great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm planning on bringing it <laughs> Thanks, thanks for... No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. No, this is... Uh, how awesome is this? Stanley Cup Final. Here we are in D.C. Game three coming up and game four before we know we're going to have a game five anyway. So uh, great to have you with us here. Hashtag SLGND as we get set for the next two games of the Stanley Cup Final. Nigel, we'll start with you. You seem uh, ready, uh, up, ready, and uh, prepared for all this here. What, what's been your general assessment of the first couple of games here as to why we're 1-1 in this series so far? Well, I think the Golden Knights have started both games really well, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been chunks of hockey each way. I think, you know, the Golden Knights have been able to play some good hockey, uh, not consistent hockey, and that's fair. I think the coach's assessment would be the same. Uh, you look at it, they, they've been able to come out in game one and find a way to win that game. That didn't happen in game two. They had great opportunity uh, to tie it up, but uh, a huge save from Braden Holtby. And you got to credit the Washington Capitals. They, they found a way to take parts of those games and take control. Uh, I think you know, we've watched the Golden Knights all year long. For me, it's been uh, kind of uncharacteristic of, of turnovers in the neutral zone, whether that's the Capitals doing their thing. Uh, you know, the, They did a good job against Tampa, one of the, the most potent offenses in the league in shutting them down in game six and seven of that series. So uh, I think they've done a good job in, you know, their their game plan. But that said, uh, the thing I like about it is this series is 1-1, and I don't believe the Golden Knights have yet played their best game. At first game especially, Gary, you know, it's always interesting. They had, they've had stretches, long stretches off between series and these playoffs. And uh, the Capitals had a, a fairly long time, but certainly not as long as the Golden Knights did. And I don't know if anybody saw – that 6-4 game coming in game one, back and forth, four lead changes. One of the most exciting games yeah. you're ever going to see. Crazy, right? Yeah. And as they have all year, the Golden Knights have prided themselves on rolling four lines, and it's the fourth line that's a huge impact uh, in that game, especially in the third period. 
Yeah, you know, and I think as this series goes on and gets a little deeper into it, that's going to be a benefit for for Gerard Gallant. He's going to want to have fresh players, and uh, the fact that he uses 6D as extensively as he does, those are all really good factors for the Golden Knights. To me, the, the thing that really sticks out is when the Golden Knights play their game and they're and they manage the puck well, they're they're better. But Washington has found a way to either lure them or force them into turning the puck over at either blue line, and they are quick strike deadly. If you give Washington just the, the slightest crack in the door, they do kick it in, and they're fantastic in the offensive zone. They move laterally really well. They've created a ton of trouble for the Golden Knights defense in that respect, and uh, to me, it's really, really simple. And uh, Jonathan Marchessault talked, so talked a lot about that after game two. We have to simplify our game. We have to, and he he was really looking forward to getting on the road. And this is an age-old theory in hockey: is that teams try to play a more exciting brand at home in front of their fans. They want to give their fans something to look at. And when they go on the road. They're like, we don't care if the people here are entertained. They're not our fans. We're going to take a little bit of the of the the fizz out of our game and play like flat Coke. And who cares? Because so long as the end of the night, we get our two points. The I first like flat, flat Coke, Coke reference. Right? No. Yeah, flat <clears throat> Coke. That's the first flat Coke reference. That's terrible. I, you know, here's the other thing. You didn't have like flat ginger ale when you were a kid? No. Oh, I love it. Oh, well, yeah, I'm missing out, I guess. Yeah, i give you a tap. My mom would pop it open and... Let it, leave it in the fridge and let the bubbles come out of it. It was great. Or wow. sore tummy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's not true. Okay. Sure. No, here's the thing, and I wonder what you guys think about this. There, there did not present an opportunity to use the fourth line in game two, as we have seen so frequently throughout the series. When Eric Hallow was asked after the game what was missing after the first 10, 12 minutes, so the forecheck wasn't just the same. Well, guess which line has been most successful on the forecheck? The fourth line, Reeves, Belmar, and Nosek. Pierre-Edouard Belmar played his fewest minutes of any postseason game in game two. The only other time he was under 10 minutes, it was the loss in Winnipeg when they were down by three goals to start and you're playing catch-up. Knights are down by two goals. All of a sudden, you have to play a little bit different than what they normally did. Yeah, and that we saw Paul Maurice really ran into trouble in the Western Conference Final because he was chasing games all the time. By the end of the series, Wheeler, Shifley, and Bufflin didn't have anything left because they'd played so much trying to get back into games. This is a great point, Dan. Getting ahead and being able to use all four lines and and not taking penalties and getting out of your rotation, critical for the Golden Knights. You know, they got ahead in game two, right? James Neal scores are up one zip, but they weren't able to build (laughs) on it. And... um, Let's kind of get to the end of, of game two. Well, let's get to the end of both games because in both games, there were great opportunities for teams to tie it. But let's start with the most recent one with with Alex Tuck. Um, you know, Nige, it's been kind of dissected. There's, um, you know, there's been articles all over the place just about this one specific scenario in the game. From a player's perspective, what's he looking at as that puck comes to him late as, as the puck moves over to him from Eakin? You're trying to get it on net. There's a bit of a rolling puck. You're trying to get it as quickly as you can to the open net, which you assume is there. You've got to credit the goaltender. He gets back. And, and, you know, is there anything can done different? In that fraction of time, how quickly that play develops, how quickly that puck comes to a stick, the decision-making, yes, we can slow it down, look at 15 different angles and dissect it. But the thing is, try to make a play 
it was one of those unique circumstances where the goalie made a tremendous ploy to get back Braden Holtby. Um, and, and so often we see that, and, you know, is it luck? I don't know what it is. A lot of times guys fan on that puck, and it slides under the goalie stick. Or a guy gets everything he can, it's in the air, and the goalie stick is right there where, uh, you know, it shouldn't be. So, yes, could he have done more? Maybe. I don't think so in that time. And in the split second, that whole play develops and happens. It, it, he did. He got it to net. Would have been worse if he fanned on it. Yeah. You know, Lars Eller and Braden Holtby had, or excuse me, Braden McNabb had a stick on him in Game One, kind of just to take away. But still, not that much where he he missed the puck completely. So, uh, you know, that's the game of hockey. They, there, there's things that happen. There's great plays made by people. There's some mistakes made on others, and that's why we see scores. And that's why how games develop. That's how. If there's no mistakes, be boring hockey. Zero zero. There are maybe three, four, five guys in the NHL with the confidence, poise, and ability to go to one knee there, like Ovechkin, or, and, and lift it for sure. But when you do that, you increase your opportunity of missing it all together. But he did, he did lift it a bit. That's what I'm saying. If you would have fanned on it and slid mm. it along the ice, yeah. it would have went under the it stick. It went right into Holpe's hand almost, because yes. if you watch it really closely, there's no rebound. Like Holpe's hand is right on it. Like even if he makes, if it hits the paddle and bounces back, Tuck maybe gets another the crack hockey at guys it were looking somebody down. else. Yeah, for sure. It was just like everything kind of conspired against Alex Tuck in that fraction of a second. I had a bigger issue, honestly. I mean, yeah, that you'd love to see him bury that. The five on three. Yeah. In the period yeah. earlier in the period, <clears throat> they had for over a minute. They had two shots the, and really didn't do much with it. I got a question on that. When you have a five on three, we haven't seen the Golden Knights five on three too often. You saw Theodore and Miller at the blue line. And I wonder, you know, you don't see that a lot. Those two guys on the same power play unit. And I wonder if just that unfamiliar, I'm sure they practice it a little bit. Yeah. But I wonder, when's the last time we saw those two guys at the blue line on a power play? When's the last time we saw the Golden Knights on a five on three? Well, yeah, right, there you go. Yeah. You don't get them in the playoffs. Some, some teams go to five forwards. You know, you know. They, yeah, they maybe haven't worked on enough and they just didn't generate enough. Uh, you know, shots to the net. Sometimes you need to simplify it before something will open up. It's a tendency in a lot of power plays. Guys try to move it around. You try to wait for that perfect pass, that perfect play, rather than initially. You get a shot or two to the net, then you get the other team moving around. That opens up those yeah. seam plays, and I just think they weren't able to get much going. Amazing the things that happen in hockey. Like, so you go back to the trade deadline where there's all this talk to George McPhee is trying to acquire Eric Carlson. It doesn't happen. As a result, Shea Theodore playing in all of these critical situations, producing, having a, a really good playoff. And Shane, you know this, they, the saying in hockey is that every playoff game is worth two regular season games in terms of a player's development. Shea Theodore is 21. He's not 22 yet. And this opportunity, what he's going through right now, is going to pay massive dividends for the Vegas Golden Knights for a long time. Obviously, you want to win the Stanley Cup. That's that's what you're after right now, but there's also a big picture going on, and the development of Shea Theodore has a result of that not that trade not going through. Like, and who knows what the Golden Knights would have looked like? like you know, would they have got out of the rhythm? Would they have changed the way they played? You know, it was uh, bringing in a, a superstar that was going to suck up a lot of the oxygen might have changed this team, and you might not be in this place. Uh, but uh, for me, this is just fantastic for Shea Theodore. Power play goal in game two. <clears throat> Got him closer. Um, and then, the, you know, the play he made, Dan, we were talking about this a little bit last night uh, over a very lengthy dinner. 
was the pass he made. Tasty <laughs> and very tasty and lengthy. Yeah. Uh, the pass he made for the game winner in game one. You right. said you were talking to him about uh, the pass he made to Tomas Nosek. Kind of take us through that a little bit and the, the presence of mind, not only to find Nosek, but how that whole play developed with him and smith Pelly. Yeah, yeah. so Devontae smith Pelly is, is challenging Theodore out near the left point. And then remember his first attempt, it knocks off, Sheriff, what's the right term for it? The skate guard? Yeah, the block, blocker. Yeah, so, so the thought blocker, pad, yeah. whatever. And, and so Shea saw that pop off Devontae smith Pelly, and he recognized that he used to wear the same kind of thing and that when it pops off, it's a distraction. So his thinking was he might have a step there because smith Pelly might be momentarily distracted. And then you see, as he steps forward, smith Pelly taps it right towards Theodore. It probably should have been a penalty. Theodore didn't even notice that. He didn't even notice that smith Pelly had knocked that loose piece of plastic towards him, though he did protect the puck with, with his blade, and then he makes the pass across perfectly to Nosek, who buries it for the goal, and Nosek is screaming for the pass. But just that he, in that split second, saw the piece of plastic pop off there and the strap, thinking, wow, that gives me an extra beat because I remember I would get distracted if that happened to me. I mean, that's incredible. Presence of mind. And that and all of that happens in, in a split a second. Nanosecond, processes right. it. Yeah. Processes it and is able to make that pass to no second. I mean, that's What's incredible. It? Yeah. Awesome and, stuff. And, and at a critical point in the game, and it was almost the reverse of what we saw in game one of the first round, where Nosek has the puck down low on the right side, puts it up top to Theodore at the left point. He shoots and scores. This was almost the opposite. Theodore left point to Nosek down low at the bottom on the right side. You know, Gary, you kind of put this whole thing together here. You know, the pod plan is what it's called. It's right here in front of me. Pod Unlikely plan. heroes. And we've seen them so far here. <laughs> Reeves, Nosek, Brooks Orpik hasn't scored a goal. We're sitting in D.C. since the Obama administration. <laughs> <laughs> Lars Eller. It's amazing you see that at this time of year. We've seen it already in two games. Yeah, stick tap to our boss, Eric Tosi. That was his uh, contribution. To Attaboy, Tos. Tos is here. Yeah. He's supervising, as he should be. Yeah. <laughs> Not just a guy looking at his phone. No, he's, uh, he's actually than, listening. More than a pretty from time face. To time. Um, yeah, obviously, I was just watching NHL Network this morning. They showed Ken Danico uh, and uh, how many Stanley Cups did he play, and he's got one Stanley Cup goal. Uh, big winner in 2000 over Dallas, and uh, he was uh, talking about what Brooks Horpik would be going through, and obviously, you know, Brooks Orpik is a guy. He's supposed to kill penalties. He eats minutes. He plays hard. You know, he's a, a valuable guy. You don't expect goals from him, and uh, no. when you get one, it uh, as big as that one, it's a bonus. But you see Ryan Reeves, right? I mean, it was Reeves that he scores the, the the conference clincher against Winnipeg, and then in his hometown, in his hometown, and then you know scores the tying goal the other night, Shane against uh, Washington in Game One. Now. Hey, you can make an argument, and, and teams will, that you know John Carlson was was irritated. He thought he was cross-checked down by Reeves, but that's, hey, that's the way it goes. Oh, huge battling point for space. For that's right. Yeah, that's that's a, we should talk about that, too, because yeah. of the, the Alex Stuck penalty in game, in game two. In the offensive end, yeah. It was a push, and Carlson went down again. Um, but you know what? The, the, the referees see that again. This is something, uh, all this ref talk, the penalties <laughs> – easy for people watching because it's slowed down. That's happening in a split second. They sometimes just see the reaction. They see arms going forward from the, the player getting the call, a guy falling. When you slow it down, watch it three or four times. Oh, maybe he dove, maybe he did this, maybe it shouldn't be a penalty. 
can't do it still on the offensive end. That That's the problem. But, yes, it, it's a battle for space. That play happens so much. Guys are trying to get separation. They're trying to create open space. Um, sometimes well, it's called. Key. Sometimes it isn't. It's just, yeah. You know. Well, I think you're, you're right on, Sheriff. That That's what I've said to people who've asked me about it. We, we slow it down and we look at the replays when a goal happens or when a penalty happens. But so often things like that are happening exactly. and there's no outcome. There's Play no goal, there's no on. penalty because people are watching the puck. But if they were to just avoid looking at the puck and watch only what's happening in front, you'd see that every time the puck is in the zone. Listen, the, the hue and cry out of Washington yeah. after the Reeves goal after game one, the referees, you know, they have a, the supervisors have a meeting with the coaches from both teams. They talk about these things. There's all kinds of little conversations going on, you know, behind the scenes. You knew that the first time that, that someone from Vegas cross-checked someone from Washington in front of the net, there was going to be a penalty. And sure enough, uh, John Carlson knew that too. And I'm not saying he, he dove because I don't know how, if you're, unless you, you do a, a study, a physics study uh, on the situation, you can't make that determination. But John Carlson knows in that situation – if he goes down, the, the referee's arm's coming up. And every referee's different, too. You had two different right. referees. Just in that situation, yeah. after the Reeves goal, yeah. you knew they were there was going to yeah. be an evening out. He was fuming at you. Know, they shot to him on TV on the bench, oh, yeah. losing it. Hey, I get it. You know, huge point in the game. Um, so we mentioned um, Lars Eller, who comes up with a big game, too, after he had the great chance to tie the game in game one. Um, but it's more of a chain reaction of, and we'll see here coming up in Game 3 if, if Andy Kuznetsov cannot play top score throughout the playoffs, not just for the Caps, but throughout the playoffs. Um, they're going to need somebody to step up, up whether it's going to be Eller again or not. But now it's just kind of the chain reaction of how good Kuznetsov is. And if they pull him out of this lineup, he, if he's not able to play, what a loss that'll be for the Caps. Well, it's a huge loss. At the same time, I guess my last kind of – recollection of losing a top player and being on that team is the rally point uh yep. i mean part of the boston bruins and nathan horton who scored two of the biggest goals to get them there in, in overtime gets hit by aaron rome in game three of that series and that turned it around for for boston it really did you rally around that so we'll see if that's the case here but it is a big it's a big spot to fill up the middle of the ice when you're talking centerman that's it's a lot more than a winger you're talking about Kuznetsov, as you mentioned, leading the playoffs in points. Uh, he, he's so good at you know his ability to bring that puck up the middle of the ice to to distribute it both ways. He creates separation. Never plays in straight lines. If you watch him, he's great at really getting that space coming up the ice. But uh, we'll wait and see what his status is. And and for the Golden Knights, if he's out, you take advantage of that. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you force somebody to be uncomfortable that has to play more minutes. So Lars Eller, who played fantastic last game, but. You make it hard on them. That's that's something you try to expose. A couple of other things to keep in mind. The Golden Knights have split the first two games of their last two series. They've gone on to win. So if that happens again, uh, that'll be a pretty big celebration. <laughs> <laughs> the other part would be they have not really had much trouble on the road in the playoffs this year. They've had their setbacks. They've won two series on the road. And Washington has not been good at home. They're 4-5 and five at home in the playoffs so far. So we'll see where that leads as we go to games uh, three and four, but as you mentioned, Gary, and maybe, I don't know, Dan, maybe Marcia Sill's right. It might be, not be the worst thing in the world. Get away, get on the road. You know, team flew out here a couple of days before game three to get used to the time change, get a good practice in today, and get ready for game three. Sure, and, and as you pointed out, there was so much time between rounds, and the one difference 
I think what the break between the third round and the fourth round is that even though the Capitals had a long series, went seven games against Tampa, they did not have that quick turnaround like, say, Boston had after that long series with Toronto. They turned right around and played Tampa Bay. Same thing with Winnipeg. After going seven with Nashville, they turned right around and played the Golden Knights. There was a little bit more of a break, not a very long break, but there there was a little bit more time in between games just so that you take not only a physical break, but a mental break, whereas the Golden Knights were home that whole time. And it's so rare to be in your own bed that often without having a game. Well, let's, and, and I'm not trying to say this to make anyone angry. There's a lot of people when you're at home. You've got everybody. Yeah. This is the sure. final. You've got everybody calling for tickets. You've got tons of people in town. You're, you're in front of your home fans. Sometimes you're, you're so amped up you get off your game because you're trying to do too much, which can be a problem. It's great, it's great to go out there and try and win a game, but when you try to get – sometimes it gets you off what makes you successful and you try to do too much. You get on the road, you're just with the guys. It is all hockey. It is all about the game. Your focus is more narrowed in. Uh, there's – I don't want to call them distractions, but there's less stuff going on around you when you're away from home. You're here – it's all and only about the game. And sometimes that can be a good thing to get back on track. Well, the Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave Podcast, coming to you from Washington, D.C., on the road, Stanley Cup Final Edition, as we get set for games three and four of the Cup Final between the Golden Knights and the Washington Capitals. One reminder for you, Golden Knights fans, don't fight for a parking space, especially now. Thousands and thousands of people going down to T-Mobile Arena, uh, T-Mobile Arena for the playoffs. Purchase your parking in advance through the Park Mobile app and score your perfect spot at the preferred parking garages of the Vegas Golden Knights. Check it out at lasvegas.parkmobile.com to reserve your parking today. That's lasvegas.parkmobile.com. We do know there will be a Game 5 of the Cup Final, at the very least, after the teams splitting the first two games. All right, Dan Duva, quiz time. The are, you, quiz. are you ready to uh, are you ready to rock on these four very uh, very pertinent questions here? Yeah. Put together well, the today. question is, are you guys ready? Yes. We will find out oh, I, in I, very I short order. Like, I guess that's fair. Okay. Well, here's the first question of the quiz. Well, Tom Wilson has been an interesting character to follow, not only in the Stanley Cup Final but throughout the playoffs. He's still a young guy too. So, if Tom Wilson, public enemy number one in Vegas after Game One for clipping Jonathan Marsh's so, if Tom Wilson was an unrestricted free agent. Would you want to sign him? Gary, let's start with you. Yeah, we're starting with you first. Yeah, 100%. He's a great player. There's so much more to him. Like, everybody knows the the villain side of him. He's a great skater. He's a great penalty killer. He plays on a line with Alex Ovechkin. Does not look out of place. Uh, I think Tom Wilson, you know, I love the fact that he will play on the edge and do a lot of things uh, that a lot of players aren't willing to do. If he pulled a little bit of that back... Uh, I will compare him, not high-end skill-wise, but he's got some Brad Marchand in him, and the fact that Marchand took a lot of that stuff out of his game, boy, did he explode as a player. Yeah, I, I don't know if I – a little size difference between the two comparisons. Uh, but certainly, I, absolutely, I'd sign him. He, he's more old school. I think a lot of his hits would be fine. You go back not 10 years, not even that long – um, I think he has to he has to understand that he's got to lay off some hits. He's it's he's in an era. He's in a game now, where when you see a certain hit, he has to pull back. He's a big man. He's got great size. 
Uh, you know, he scored 12 goals this season, 16 the previous season. So there's some offense to him for a big man, as you mentioned, playing on the top line. Uh, and, and he's one of those guys that gets up and down the ice. I, I said this when the Golden Ice got Ryan Reeves. There's very few guys now that can get in on the forecheck and before they get to the puck, defensemen hear the skates coming or hear the footsteps, however you want to say it. Ryan Reeves does that, mm. and you start to think twice. Sometimes there's a free puck when those guys go in. Tom Wilson's that type of player. Uh, you know, he puts a little bit of fear into guys going back for the puck because they know they're going to take a big hit. He's a big man, uh, so absolutely, I think he'd be someone, uh, you know, I would sign uh, if there was an opportunity. Yeah, still a young guy. You mentioned 24 years old, just turned 24 a couple of months ago. Playoffs this year, 13 points in, nine, in 18 games mm. in the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah, I, no question. I mean, 14 goals in the regular season, and, and he's he's a guy that, you know, he can he can be a difference maker. You know, he's 6'4", 220, but he can play the game. You know, you see the physicality of his game, and that's one thing. And we saw it on the hit on March or so, and, you know, it's certainly debatable whether it was deemed worthy of discipline or not. They decided not. But, yeah, no question. No, yeah, good, he's good luck signing him. But uh, if he was unrestricted, I don't know his what his status is now. He's probably got another year left or so on his on his entry level deal. But either way, yeah, no question. Somebody young, physical, and can play. I would sign him. I would sign him in a heartbeat for sure. Yeah. I was way off on his stats, by the way. Yeah, just so, yeah, just I, know. so I, know. I know the fact check there. I was looking at his. Make sure, Dan, get the pencil. Yeah, yeah make sure. Yeah, thank you. Anyways, that's all right. You know, there is some offensive upstairs. Yeah, no, I so I've got him now. That's all right. What do you got? I just told you his numbers. No, you were wrong too. So that's good. I'm looking at it. <laughs> Oh, well, this year you're right, yeah. Yeah. Well, what year you want? Well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> okay. By the way. I blame the internet. Th- that's, that's what it was. Uh, you know, by the way. What a, you know, the, what his, a beauty. His first, his first four years pro, you know, he's, he's making just over a million dollars. Uh, you know, the last couple of years it's up to $2 million. So what it looks like going forward will, will be interesting, but I would imagine there's just going to be an upgrade there. But, uh, but, yeah, he had 14 goals and 21 assists in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, four goals and nine assists in the first 18 playoff games that he's had. So uh, let's go on to question number two. Uh, well, uh, Gary, uh, we, you started the first one, so we'll go back to you for question number two. Good points by all. Referees, first game, only a couple penalties were called, right? Uh, four penalty minutes per side. Uh, so the question is, a lot more tighter in game two. Which kind of officiating do you prefer? Well, I preferred game one because in game two, they were selective. And they called some ticky-tacky stuff. And then, like, the holding call on Eric Halla. I, I, I still can't figure that one out. The, it, Backstrom has got his hand around Halla's neck. And it was an embellishment. They didn't, they didn't call embellishment. They called... Which another thing I don't understand. If that another subject altogether, but it, both guys weren't holding. <laughs> it just was a strange call to me, and I'd prefer that they leave it to the egregious stuff at this time of the year, um, and and leave the small things to chance because it's uh, it, once you call one of those things, I think you have to call them all, and uh, I'd prefer they stay away from it. I agree. I, I like the way game one went. <laughs> I just want consistency, yeah. and which is very tough. This is an argument you can have all season yeah. long from ref to ref to this or that. But uh, I like the game to be cited by the players. Uh, I like less, you know, penalties, less, like you said, the blatant call, blatant infraction, make the call. Outside of that, uh, you know, and I know what they're 
Gary is saying, I know they're trying to stay away. On that, a ref saying, well, it kind of looked like Howell held a stick. So, you know what? Rather than power plays, I'm just going to call them both. We'll go four on four. And they did that a couple times. I think there was another one, a scrum in front of the net. They just grabbed two guys and throw yeah. them in the box. But I, I certainly preferred, number one, less penalties, let the flow of the game. And, and we saw the result. It was a fantastic, highly entertaining game. I'm going to stay out of the way. Let the players work it out. You know, unless it's, to, you know, unless it's egregious, then you know, Colin Miller going to the net and gets hooked sets him up with a five-on-three in game two. So unless it's taking away a blatant scoring chance or it's a blatant penalty, and I think, I don't know, I think most fans would kind of like to see that. Let the, like, you're in the biggest games there, you know, a lot of these guys are ever going to play in their lives. Let them work it out as much as possible. Try to, if you're an official, try to stay out of the way. Yeah, because I'll add to that, as you point out, game one, you'd let both guys go, not call any penalties. It looked like in game two, well, we should probably call something, but we don't want one side to yeah. really get an advantage here. But still calling penalties on both teams, that still changes the complexion of the game. Now all of a sudden you've got four-on-four four hockey, and that's how one of the goals was scored for Washington, and they had not been particularly productive at four-on-four four regular season or postseason. But still, it, it to me, it still changes the game. I, if it's that close, I would sooner see them call neither than, than both. Interesting, too, just as a quick footnote, Nudge, we were talking to some people uh, with the league, I think in the last series. Each team does have the opportunity, and they usually take it before each playoff game, to have a little bit of an audience with somebody from the league in terms of, hey, look, and it's both sides, so it's fair. Keep an eye on this. Hey, look, we, we think they're doing a lot of that. And yeah. Go back to what happened first game. John Carlson gets cross-checked, right? Second game. Mm-hmm. They don't call it first game, second it's game. So back to San Jose, you know, the pick, and then the next yes. game is called. The first, they have that in, opportunity in the In the, the first three rounds, the uh, the referee supervisor was Don Van Massenolen. Yeah. Yeah. So they met with him before uh, – before every round, now it goes to Chris. Chris King and Stephen Walkham right. uh, are in there from uh, from the, they're both VPs with the NHL. Walkham VP of officiating and Chris King, senior VP of hockey ops. So those guys are the guys that have those meetings now at this stage. There you go. Okay, guys. Question number three: Shea Theodore in his second playoff run, of course, had been with the Ducks before. He's averaging half a point per game, and he's the twelfth defenseman in NHL history in the first since. Chris Letang, to do that through age 22. Question here is for Shea Theodore with that impressive start. What is his ceiling? This time, Dave, we'll start with you. Um, I think his ceiling is pretty damn high, to be honest with you. Dan. I mean, if, and I think you saw it a lot last year in the playoffs with Anaheim, where in the bigger games, you know, we were talking to him earlier in the playoffs, and he said last year Cam Fowler was injured in their first-round series. So it gave him the opportunity to play a lot of minutes, ran their first power play, played a lot, and he took a lot of confidence out of that. Now, so I said to him, I said, well, well, I noticed that you played 14 playoff games, but what happened? And he said, well, Randy, Randy Carlisle wanted to go with a more physical lineup as they got into that series against Nashville, and they pulled him out of the lineup. But he still was able to, I think, take a lot of confidence out of that experience. So I just think his ability, especially the way the game's played now, but his ability – to go back, retrieve pucks, see the ice, make a good first pass, his ability to get the shot through. You know, if you look the other night, that power play goal, he he found a lane to the net, much like Colin Miller did in, in game one, kind of took a step and walked his way to the middle of the ice. I think his ceiling is is real high. For a young kid who I do think benefited from, like a lot of people, a change of scenery uh, and coming to Vegas, um, 
I think he's the sky's the limit for this kid, especially in what we've seen. You know, as he's grown, he's even grown as the season's gone on too. Sheriff. Well, I didn't talk much earlier because I knew this was coming on Shea Theodore. I think his ceiling at worst is a top two defenseman and at best is an elite offensive D-man in this league. We're starting to see the confidence he was able to to generate, as Gary mentioned, uh, you know, when that Carlson trade didn't happen from the trade deadline on, I thought his confidence went up another level. And how you see his confidence is the way he plays the game. He's still a young guy. He's still going to learn the defensive aspects, but he has natural offensive instincts. He has elite skating ability. He is... His ability off the blue line and on that pass to Nosek, his ability and confidence with the puck to shake a forward coming out to not only create a lane. Guys can create a lane, one little fake, but he not only does that. Guys will fake a lane, get the shot through. He takes steps forward. He shakes them off and a step forward. And then he makes a play. His head's up. Uh, when he shoots the puck, he's got a great shot that is very underrated. His wrist shot is fantastic. He has the ability to get it through traffic because he can make those moves. He makes those plays with his head up. And that's, you know, these are, sounds simple in how I'm describing that, but it's not easy. You know, Nick Lindstrom used to be able to drag the puck right across the blue line, fake it a hundred times, and it was almost like he didn't have to touch the puck. It was like he had it on a string to his skate following. You know, elite defensemen have different ways. Those offensive guys, Eric Carlson, mentioned Chris Letang, Shea Theodore has that potential, has that ability the other thing I like about him is if you ever watch him with a stick, his hands are never tight into his body. Um, you know, best defensive coach I had is the late Brad McCrimmon. It was one thing he tried to get everybody to do. He said, you watch the best defensive guys. Their hands are away from their body when they make plays with a stick. And that's what Shea Theodore does. His hands are always out. It allows him to go back and forth. It allows him to make plays while his feet are in motion. Uh, he's just got a lot of tendencies that are that are pointing to elite defensemen. And... Uh, Will he reach that thing? We'll wait and see, but it'll be fun to watch. So uh, there, there's a ton of potential for him. This is why we have Sheriff uh, on the on everything. I was wondering do. why. No, on every, just, <laughs> after just all this the, time, just all of those, all of those little things that he can see yeah. as a player: the head up, the hands away from the body, uh, the be, the ability to shake a forward. Watch that, though. Uh, watch the uh, watch absolutely. the hands next game. Watch if, his. If you watch a lot of defensemen that can skate. They are puck movers. They can transport the puck. The difference with Shea Theodore, when he gets into the offensive zone, he doesn't just have to skate around. Like you see them. They they skate all the way up the ice, and then they get into the offensive zone, yeah. and they skate around the Whoops. net. Yeah. Shea Theodore <laughs> can create offense off yeah. the rush and can find people because of he's got his head up like, like Sheriff notes. The other thing, th- this is the thing that I find really interesting as he develops. And we saw this, Shane and I saw this in Winnipeg. They paired Jacob, a young Jacob Truba yeah, with Mark point. Stewart. And it was great for Truba to a certain point. And then he needed someone that he could play with that could, that could complement him in the offensive zone as well. Now, Derek England is, uh, is a much better skater than Mark Stewart at this stage of their careers. And so it's been a perfect pairing. But Derek is not a high-end offensive guy. I think he had a career career year this year with 16 points. Um, so maybe 19, right around in there. And, you know, obviously, sure. as, as we yep. move forward, you know, who's going to play? Can Shea Theodore and Nate Schmidt become an elite pairing, a top two D for the Vegas Golden Knights? And I, I just, that part of where Theodore, who Theodore plays with, Going forward, to me, is going to be 
uh, really fascinating because Shane's right. He's a top 2D. I'll, I'll do the fact check now on the on the numbers. Just first on Shea Theodore, uh, that his production in this postseason is now more than he had with the Ducks last year. He had two goals, six assists, eight points, 14 playoff games last year with the Ducks. Now he's up to nine points in 17 playoff games with the Knights, three goals and six assists. Uh, you shortchanged uh, Derek Englund just a little bit. He had 23 points. Oh, sorry. Holy smokes. Yeah, five goals uh, was one shy of go. his career high. But his 23 points that was, a career high. was indeed a career high. Uh, he had not even put that up in any of his minor league seasons, let alone the NHL. So, yeah, far I, uh, and away. My apologies uh, to Derek. I can't believe you would do that. Sorry, <laughs> <All right>, Gary. <laughs> it's, it's one of those days. Yeah, yeah, I was I way mean, off but, on Tom Wilson. But I'm not apologizing to but him. But it's interesting. But, but also, I mean, they. <laughs> I got to see Derek later yeah. today. <laughs> we'll they, be sure to tell him. The, their nicknames, you know, the, the junior and senior. I mean, Shea is, is yeah. 22 years old. He'll turn 23 in August. That's another fact. Checked. You said he was 21 earlier, but 22. he's 22. This is incredible. 23 in, in August. Oh, but Derek's 36 is the veteran guy. So that's you, you've got the 36-year-old and a 22-year-old. I mean, that's 14 years is quite a gap. And Shea is always looking for that approval from from Derek. You know, jokingly. You know, when you ask Derek, what you know, what do you think about the defenseman? How about your partner? And Derek only begrudgingly will offer some sort of compliment on Theodore. Yes. Right? You guys, kind of do, uh, you guys can do the rest of the show to, uh, alone okay. because I've two boo boos. I'm not winning. So, uh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm going to DQ now and not even not even play the back nine. <laughs> All Straight right. to the clubhouse. Not the first oh, okay. time. Okay. Well, hey, you asked for the fact check. That's only what I, I don't think I did. Paid to be here for. Uh, question number four to wrap this one up uh, is the pregame show in vegas too much or should the rest of the nhl take note well sheriff you won that question so you get to go first on this one well i love it i, I think it absolutely is fantastic i think it's great for the game um and i'm i'm old school mentality and i know there's a, i come from canada i'm canadian and i know how people some people feel there i think it plays off better live than it does over television i think that's a part of it but I'm, I'm, you know, and everybody's going to say I'm biased in this, so I'm going to, I'm going to reference. I ran into Barry Trotz after Game One on the off day. I was there to be at the arena to do some stuff. We had a great conversation, and his take is the NHL needs more of it. So if anybody thinks it's a distraction to Washington, their coach loved it. Game One, he loved everything about it. He said, but we got to remember he came in with Nashville and he saw how they did. He said in these marks, you want the game to be. He says this is entertainment. Yes, the product, and I agree. The product on the ice, that's what everybody pays for. But you, the amount of pay now, you need everything. I, I think this is the way the league needs to trend. I don't think we'll see it in every building. It obviously has to cert, fit for certain marketplaces, and it fits for Vegas. This is, yeah. this is all Vegas. Um, I don't other places it's not going to play off. But they, they can do something, whatever works in their place, in their city, uh, for their team. So uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, Barry Trotz thinks it's tremendous. He thinks it's great for the league. He th- he even said, I think more places should take notice. Um, so that's coming from a coach who's been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a buddy of mine back, from back home that texted me as he was watching, and to Nides' point, maybe it, it plays better live than on TV. I had a buddy of mine back home text me watching Game 1's uh, introductions and said, you know, can they stop this? It's embarrassing the game. And I texted him back. I said, look, I, I don't, it's all, it's off the charts here, what we're doing. You know, like it, it's so, but I, I get it that, you know, if you're in that old school mentality at times, that it, maybe it's not your thing. I, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, Johnny Greco and the whole team and what they've been able to do, it's, it's just it's phenomenal. So I think it does prove one thing, guys. There's more than one way to do it. It doesn't look. This isn't Boston, Toronto, Montreal. No, exactly. It's not. 
And if you're going to put a team in the entertainment capital of the world, you want to do it different. And we've seen, you know, we're around it, obviously, so we've seen it all season long, just how innovative as an organization the Golden Knights have been. But I think it's phenomenal. And especially now, to Nigel's point, when you're paying a lot of money to go to games, it's got to be a lot more to it than just about the hockey. And especially if you're putting in a team where we're fortunate enough to work. Yeah, I think it's... uh, I think it's great, you know, and they've only ramped it up. Like, even the regular season was was pretty damn good. But now you get, you know, yanking guys to the roof. Sheriff's a big fan of that. He's a big fan Imagine of Imagine Dragons. <laughs> Imagine I love Dragons. That, like, that was, that was tremendous. Yeah. It's awesome. Here, here's, the, here's the brother. NBC doesn't have to show it. They, 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 they can have Doc and, and Edzo and Milbury and Roenick talk for, for 15 minutes from 8 o'clock in the East – to eight or for to eight twenty, whatever they want to do, they 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 can fill that time quite easily. They have chosen to sh- chosen to show it, not just in game one, but in game two. There's a reason, people love it, and there is uh, a small vocal minority on Twitter and Facebook that is saying this isn't hockey. Well, <laughs> this isn't hockey. Um, advertisements on the ice. On the boards. At one point in time, that wasn't hockey. Music in the arena, other than an organ, at one point in time, wasn't hockey. Get your head out of 1945. We, When you go to buildings where the team isn't very good, and four buildings really stick out to me this year. Vancouver, Calgary, Carolina, and Florida earlier in the year. By the end of the year, Florida got good, and, and their their fans had lots to watch. Those buildings were morgues. It wasn't fun to be there, and it, they could have, for sure, used more of this. Hawk, traditional market, there is no traditional market anymore. The traditional market is small-town Canada, northern Russia, northeast United States, and that's it. Like, it, now, it's all over the world. They're, 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 they're playing women's hockey in China. So this is uh, a new day, a new age. It's time to move forward, and uh, I'm I'm older than Shane. By, you know that by almost ten, by almost ten years, and uh, and I would call myself a traditionalist for sure. My wife and daughter go to the games, and they absolutely love it. And oh. the, and the, like my wife goes the, more than when I played. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that, that, like that, that, doesn't that tell you something? Yeah. He's not joking. I'm not. That's, That's true. Funny, though, yeah. Well, I, she had young kids when you were. But playing, my kids, but, and yeah. I've got kids that range from 11 but to they 20, go, and they it? love it. It's my 20 year old, not of not a sports fan, and she went to the last two games. She was in town visiting, and for her to go to a sporting contest, uh, any sporting contest. Because uh, she doesn't have interest, absolutely loved it. Because it's more. If you're not a fan of hockey, fine, go. You'll enjoy whatever there is for the game. You get caught up in the excitement, but you enjoy everything that's going on around it. You enjoy the show. Little John, thousands of people out there for the pregame costume before game one. Then imagine dragons before games. Like, like where else? Who else does that? Right. Like I just saw. It's funny the timing of this. I just got an NHL sent out a note that Sting and Shaggy. Who's who's the Shaggy person? That's a performer, evidently. Yes. It wasn't me. He's, they, his songs, the, they're going to perform at uh, the Smithsonian Art yes. Institute before Game Three, here in Washington. Yeah, well, exactly. Sting, great. That's, that's great. Like, Sting, Sting was in the police. No, I know Sting. I'm talking. <laughs> who's the shaggy person? 
<laughs> I don't know who he is. He's, a, he's kind yeah. of a Jamaican he's like rapper. Ra- okay, yeah, yeah. so the, yeah. the two of reggae. them are going to perform. Reg- reggae, reggae rapper, yeah. Reggae yeah. rap. So now they're kind of... He's got dreads. Or yeah. did. Listen, listen, listen it's, it's, if you were going to an NHL hockey game in Las Vegas, I would think you would expect to see a really cool show. Well, and the folks at the Golden Knights have delivered that expectation <laughs> and more, in my judgment. That's the other barometer is that, the, you know, the, the building was 104% to, capa- to fix seated capacity all year long. They set a record at, you know, 18,700 the other night for the, the 702, I believe it was. Like 705. 702. Oh, fact check. What happens when you make the, t- when you fool well, the teacher? Yeah, I know. that's right. Uh, I love it. From, from a bogey to a birdie. That's a rare. I'm back, I'm back to even. I'm sticking no, around for razor fold. No, I don't know about that, but you certainly <laughs> climb back up. You know, that's who tells. That's who tells the story. They pay. They buy the tickets. They could stay in the concourse. They could. They sell great margaritas at T-Mobile. You could hang out at Goose Island or Shake Shack or whatever. They're in their seats. Lounge. They want to see it. I don't know where they're putting them. Uh, Eighteen thousand seven hundred two. It's Before crazy. game two, of the, it's They're unbelievable. Selling, Todd Pollock told me he's VP of ticketing for the Golden Knights. They are selling tickets in in some of the lounges where you don't have a you don't have a view to the ice. Yeah, like Nike. You can see you can see a TV. You can watch. Yeah. And, but and you you get it, you can say I was there. You want to be in the building, yeah. right? They want to be part of the experience. They're not cheap those spots either. No, and they're, yeah, where they're partial. It's like the old school, the old Boston Garden obstructed view, partial yes. view. Yeah. To be sitting yeah. behind a pole, yeah. couldn't see anything back in the day. So, yeah. But it's a show. It's, it's, un- yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's an environment unlike anything I've no. experienced in sports. And if you see it on TV and it's not your thing, well, that's okay. Yeah, if you don't like it. You didn't pay to go to the game. <laughs> if, you don't, if, if you don't like it, don't come to Vegas and don't come to a game. Yeah. And uh, the people your... uh, who want to obviously have purchased yeah. those tickets watch, and seem to be enjoying it. Watch Family Feud until uh, <laughs> 22 minutes after the hour and then come over for the game. And watch the CFL. Everything. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Have the opportunity to stay home. It's the Canadian Football League, for those of you wondering. Nine teams. Dave's a big fan. I'm a huge fan of it. Only one Rough Rider. Your final score, 117 to 112. (laughs) It's incredible. That's the quiz, by the way. That's the quiz. And we'll remind you that our podcast here, this one on the road in D.C. before Games 3 and 4 of the Cup Final, is brought to you by Rock Creek Cattle Company. And it's one of the most unique places uh, you will ever see. We have, Shane and I have not been there. No, Gary was invited and spent a lovely place. time there. We haven't been there yet, though, but it's a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This working cattle ranch sits on 28,000 acres of land and has a little something for everyone, including world-class golf, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and lots more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. Check it out at Rock Creek cattlecompany.com we're gonna go right, right to razor fold is that the plan here? i like it yeah, yeah. all right I let's like do it. it all right razor fold fellas we got uh three uh, items here we're gonna get to today so stanley cup final uh the off days here and there's there's we had two games uh, two days off between games two and three and we've kind of got that between five six and, and seven if it gets that far down the road razor fold with and we'll start start with you uh there sheriff Razor fold on all the off days here in the cup final. I raise just because being through it with the travel, you're going East Coast, West Coast. Uh, it helps to have a couple days between. I think it sets up for better hockey. Um, with the travel, um, I, I don't have a problem with it, so uh, I'll say raise. 
I'm only going to fold on it because it's different than the first three rounds. Personally, I like it. I, I, I like having an extra day or two for oh, myself. Yeah, you're a busy man. Yeah, well, that's that's how it works. We have not much. Shane and I don't have much to do. Oh, oh, well. <laughs> oh I'm very productive. <laughs> but but it, it, it's, and I understand it. There's, you know, the distance to travel theoretically is more in a Stanley Cup final. You've got a team in Las Vegas that's a few thousand miles away from Washington, D.C. But Winnipeg wasn't exactly around the corner. Uh, the, the, the thinking to me is you, you have, and it's not just the days between games. I mentioned this earlier in the program, the days after the conference final for game seven, Washington wins. They have several days before game one of the cup final. I think that was, that benefits Washington, whereas the Golden Knights should have gotten more of a benefit from having won their series in fewer than seven games. I think that's an interesting thing to look at as well. Um, Again, I understand there's two days because of the travel, so I get it. But simply for the reason that it's different than the first three rounds, I fold on it. Lawman? Yeah, I fold. We're, we're going too long here. It gets uh, – uh, you know, what, what, what would be game seven? June 13th. Yeah, too late. It's too late. When it's, the uh, uh, bees won it. June right? 15th. June 15th. Yeah, it's, too, it's too deep yeah. into June for Gary's me. got things to it's do. It's going to be 105. Yeah, Gary, like, I'm going to call 105, 106. Gary Lawless would like this done quicker, please. <laughs> 105, Let's wrap it up. <laughs> in Vegas next week. Uh, it's muggy here in Washington. The players were uh, commenting. Uh, some people were commenting about the ice after game one. The ice is going to be tough here in Washington, too, because of, because of the humidity. Ooh. Get it over with. I raise on it just because I, 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 um, especially the travel. Like it's one time thing. Time change. Yeah, time change. Like right now, I'm fatigued. So you know the time change part of it. But I'm they strong and empowering. The conference through. final for Vegas going to Winnipeg too. No, I three know. hours. Well, two hours though. Another hour. But I don't have a big. Um, I don't have a problem. With it. It's funny, Nice. And I, well, I don't know if you would remember this or not. I, I'm trying to remember back. Chances the chances are not. are not a chance that he does remember this. <laughs> But the year the Bruins won it, did you have two days between yes. like games five, six, and seven? You did. Okay, I couldn't remember that far back. Um, but so it's not like it's a new thing. I guess is my is my point that they've been doing this for a while. Oh, no, for sure. That yeah. was three cross country trips in yeah. in two weeks, and this I guess in theory would be as well. So I get it. I I don't have a huge problem with it because as I said, Shane and I don't really have many responsibilities. <laughs> so we're, so we're able to enjoy the nation's capital here. More time to do podcasts. A little sightseeing and podcast. That's why we're doing this. A little yeah. sightseeing. Go to Lincoln Memorial later on today. Mm. All right, Razor Fold. So that's um, that's our first one. Second one is, um, and Lawman, you just you just led this. Uh, I tell you, led me right into it. Razor Fold on the players talking about bad ice at this time of year. Dudes, let's start with you. You're sitting there uh, ready to go. Well, when you ask them about it, if they choose to answer, I guess I can't kill them for it. So I did ask a couple of players about it. I asked a couple of coaches about it as well. Um, should it be brought up unsolicited? No. Uh, I fold on that aspect of it. But if as a reporter asks a question, I think it's only fair that they answer it. Uh, it should not be brought up as an excuse. And from that standpoint, I fold on it. When talking with those players about it, um, it had not been a problem all year. It really had not. And then they have that spray that came out that makes certain spots sticky, especially just inside the blue line, and that makes it even harder to navigate. So it, it, I recognize it was an issue in game one. Uh, you heard the Capitals talking after their practice between games one and two, and it was a lot better. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe you guys could say if, what you thought about the ice for game two. But 
to answer the question, um, it should I fold on the idea that the players should bring it up unsolicited as an excuse. Yeah, I absolutely fold for sure. Both teams are playing on it. And the other thing, too, is is that this is, you know, the ultimate showcase for the National Hockey League, and the players benefit from that. They're, like, they're uh, – listen, I know that there's uh, obviously ownership and the players have their differences, but th- this is not the time to be airing them. This is when you're showcasing your league. Uh, revenue is created based off of this time of the year, which benefits the players. Put on a brave face and deal with it. I fold on it. It's, yeah. I don't think there's great ice anymore. There, there's no such great thing point. as great ice. These buildings just have too much going on. Yeah. You go all regular season, there's there's places that are at times can be as bad as it was in game one if it was that bad. But thing is, both both sets of teams are on the exact same ice. They have the same conditions. You have to find a way. Uh, these players are highly skilled. And, yeah, sure, you'd love uh, – you know what? If you want the best ice, I go play outdoor in Manitoba in, in January. You'll get good, clean, hard ice that yeah. you can skate forever <laughs> on. You'll warm. freeze. Your ears might right. fall off. But well, uh, that's the only way that, that is the only way to get the perfect ice. So, well, I was going to say the other – long. And I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Nides, and I probably am. Yeah. Edmonton used to have routinely – supposedly. But the worst, to your point about busy buildings – Supposedly it was Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah, MSG is terrible. World's fifth, well, you know, self-proclaimed world's yeah, most famous. Yeah, MSG arena. was known right? for the the worst. And yeah, Knicks games. Too much and stuff. And, and I never too much stuff in there, concert, right? Yeah. The Oilers ice must. I think they were talking the '80s because you know from 2000 on. Out of the '90 era. No, it was Error. not. Uh, Error. I never considered it better than any other ice. Yeah. Um, I will tell you this: they've come a long way since the blackouts at the old Boston Garden during the <laughs> Cup Final. I mean, that's a, remember the pow, they had power outages in the Cup Final. Yeah. They had a fog out one year, and they had you talk about older. You know, this is a building that's now a parking lot. Well, actually being developed in some very expensive real estate right now. But anyway, back in the day, they had a fog out one year in the Cup Final and a blackout yeah. another year. So, yeah, I. But uh, to your point, Dan, I, I fold on it. But we bitch a lot. I bitch a lot. Let me. Oh yeah. Yeah, about a lot of things. <laughs> oh yeah. But about players. In this day and age, don't say much of anything. And I understand it. You know, it's out there on the Twitters and everything else. If you're asked a question, they're going to have to respond to it. But, you know, within reason. So, um, you know, this and especially this time of year, it's going to be 100. It was 100 for game two outside. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be at least that as the series moves on. And, and, and as much as we talk about the temperature, the technology now, the temperature outside outside should not have all that much of an impact because of what we can do now that you couldn't do 10, 20, 30 years right. ago. Except Rem- until you open the doors. Well, right. And, and at the same time, when you have games, preseason games that were being played in T-Mobile Arena, I mean, that was September. I mean, it was 100 degrees then, too. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, sometimes you just try to do something different or too much because it is the Stanley Cup final and you probably overthink it or overdo it and miss the mark. But we'll see what happens uh, with the ice here in Washington, D.C. for game three. And, you know, just a, uh, and one other weather point. I did forget about the humidity, right? Because we yeah. live out in the desert. It's dry as can be. We got off the plane here yesterday. I thought it was going to evaporate. <laughs> It was, un- there was, I said to Dan, I said, my official count was the humidity was at 122%. Now, he told me with his education that's impossible, that you can't <laughs> have 100 I don't, I don't think, I don't think that, that's possible. That works, no. But that's your accurate weather forecast. The temp, 95, the humidity, 122. You are not CMOS endorsed. <laughs> Is that the, uh, the meteorology people? Meteorology okay, fine. All right, one last razor fold. Uh, Sheriff, let's, let's start with you at the end of the couch. <laughs> Is the Capitals power play the most dangerous one the Golden Knights have seen in the playoffs? 
Well, that's a tricky question, Dave. Um, is it the most dangerous one? Well, I guess if you look at the stats, because Washington's power plays, you know, been the best in the playoffs. But Winnipeg's was better in the regular season. And they're both very similar. Mm. So I would fold on the fact that they've seen a power play very similar, but you got to raise in the fact that it is the most dangerous one that is in playoffs statistically. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm raise and fold on <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait yeah, a I'm gonna play. Like I'm gonna play the, the tallest midget. What are we talking well, about? Well, no, all race. Just because in in playoffs, uh, they're statistically it's very dangerous. Nicholas Backstrom back, you know, as healthy as he can be, and such a good quarterback. And and, and, I, and I think I did this the last podcast. It's a exact same setup that Winnipeg developed off of that because not every team has an Alexander Ovechkin. While Winnipeg got a Patrick Lyonne. DJ O.C., Mark Shifley, same spot, Blake Wheeler, Nicholas Backstrom, John Carlson, Dustin Bufflin. Uh, and then, you know, you've got uh, your, your other guys, you know, Winnipeg got Paul Stashney. That's Kuznetsov kind of off the point. Eller made the great pass last game to Ovechkin. So it's the very same setup. But right now, uh, the number one power play in playoffs has been the Capitals. And it has been uh, their biggest offensive output here in playoffs. That's what's got them by uh, with a lot of these rounds. So, uh, yeah, most dangerous race. Lawman, let's see you. At Rays. So Ovechkin, everyone knows where he is and what he's going to do. And they've known it for over 10 years, and he still does it. He's due respect to Patrick Line. He's got a great shot. Ovechkin is still the best trigger man in the National Hockey League. And you've got yeah. him, and you get him free, he puts it in. Simple as that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I raised on it, and I was going to say, <clears throat> with Ovechkin, Nate Schmidt had put it in, in a good context. He'll shoot from anywhere, right? And that is such a, a weapon. Um, so I, I raise on on the Washington power play being the most dangerous at this point. Uh, now having seen it in person for a couple of games, I, I probably before the series started, I might have said Winnipeg because of all the firepower there. I wonder what it looks like Kuznetsov, his availability going forward, that sort of thing. That's another question, but uh, but I raise on the premise of that question for sure. Just a little uh, uh, news, breaking news. We're talking about Kuznetsov. He is skating right now at the Capitals practice. So uh, uh, he is day-to-day, and it's not his legs that are uh, a problem for him right now. It looks like it was his wrist. but uh, I know how I'd play him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, harder to shoot if you don't have <laughs> a little, little wrist. A little tap uh, oh, every once in a while, Sheriff. I love the day-to-day. Day-to-day, as we Aren't all are. Aren't we all? Yes. <laughs> Charlie all? Steiner's great line. He was day- What's, what do you want in your headstone? He was day-to-day until today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll raise on, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you guys have already broken it down. It, the most dangerous power play for sure. And the fact that, you know, that the tide of that game changed the other night, game two, yeah. when Ovechkin, you know, they, they tie the game on Eller's goal, but then Ovechkin gives him the lead and it gives him the lead for good. So t- especially first shot of the second period. First shot, yeah. And then, you know, Nides were sitting up there. First two shots, right? They scored yeah. on maybe, you know, 2 1 and then 3 1. So, yeah, I mean, no question that they're the most dangerous one that the Golden Knights have seen. So that's our razor fold for, uh, this edition of the podcast. One final reminder for you before Dan Duva gets out the number two pencil for the fact check. Well, that... I got, I've got one more to add to. Oh, okay, a uh, fact check? No, I think we got to do a questionable behavior. Okay, from our, from last night. All right, that's fine. Can I? Um, yeah, we'll do that. Let me just tell you about the Foley Food yeah, and Wine Society, Shane. Thank you so much. Okay, 
Bill and Carol Foley have created the Foley Food and Wine Society to celebrate three of their greatest passions. World-class wines, exceptional cuisine, and outstanding destinations. And as a member of their society, you'll have access to their entire portfolio of properties around the globe. The Foley Food and Wine Society offers an exclusive opportunity to join like-minded individuals who seek to experience the finer things in life. And they look forward to hosting you during your next visit. You got, so we're going to have a little... Uh, well, I, I feel a scud coming my uh, way It's here. a little uh, cam, not cameo. I, mean, I can't find the word right now, but a little out of the blue edition of Questionable well, Behavior. Yeah, from the just quickly, we had a yes. fantastic meal last night. All of us hung out. It was great. It, I don't need to eat for the next two months. Uh, <laughs> that said, though, it, we, got, we got to talk about this. It was raining. Before we went to this place, we all, had to, we all had to... Now you know where I'm going. We all had to grab umbrellas. Dan Duva, I think, grabbed the umbrella out of his drink. It was like one of those little straw umbrellas. It was like a, the it's tiniest Shirley little Temple. umbrella I'd ever seen. And it was pouring out. Uh, just as that questionable behavior. Do you, do you use that or do you take the rain? Like, I'm not sure. What's more embarrassing? Using that umbrella or just getting soaking wet and just living with it? It's the tiniest umbrella I've ever seen. It was. It was out of a drink, it was, I think. Yes. It was like for a four-year-old or something. Might as well have had Mickey Mouse on it. That, that umbrella, I can recall that my mother used that style, and it's called a knips, I believe. Oh, those geez. Those smaller ones. I don't so, have time uh, to fact check. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You have no. time to defend yourself. So No, I will say... <laughs> So your question was, do you just take the rain? It was pouring. Out. Yes. It wasn't like it was a light shower. I didn't get It was wet. raining like Ireland out there. Uh, your shoulders were wet. I didn't. It wasn't noticeable. Let's put it that way. First of all, it's nice for the folks here in Washington, D.C. Yes. They have a program where there are umbrellas at the door of various uh, places that you can grab. I just want to refresh so everyone's one. memory. <laughs> I grabbed one out of the, the umbrella There's a knips right there. Oh, great. Jane has a picture on his phone. For all the people listening though. at home, they, that's Fits right in your handbag. Yeah. Fits in your handbag or your fanny pack as you head out for the night. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. So I grabbed the darn umbrella and, uh, you know, I want it to stay dry. Yeah, well, you you guys did. didn't let me have the bigger ones. Stay dry. Although, shout out to Tyler Pico, who grabbed umbrellas for everybody else. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. He looks I'm up. with you. He, he stay dry. It wasn't a light shower. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm be, right. I have your back, Dan. There you go. Hey, well, what's the final uh, fact checked? Well, I, I, I was going to say we, we got through most of the facts checked during the program. Gary wasn't very happy about it, but we oh, tried well, to be accurate. That's all right. You'll get over but, it. But, uh, yeah, 18,702, Gary. Yes, 702. So that's, that's good. Give that a little so, thought. 702. Does ring go. a bell? So okay. Three extra people that I had, uh, that I counted that weren't actually there. I, I was going to give Sheriff the number one star of the show, but now I'm not sure that that's, <laughs> that's all right. really deserved at this point. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you'll still get it. You're st you know what's uh. interesting, and I mean this in all seriousness, that to hear you talk about the defensemen, like with Theodore, with the hands, and we talk about different things and what we as journalists see. But I thought that was probably the most interesting part of the program. So that's why you got the number one star, despite the umbrella thing. That, well, uh, the umbrella hurtful comment. I stayed dry. You didn't offer me your umbrella. No. You could have cuddled underneath. You're very dry. <laughs> well, the Sheriff Lawless Some Guy Named Dave podcast. Thanks for tuning in from Tyler Pico's room here at the hotel. So the best thing of all this is we know Tyler's room number. We'll be charging a variety of things to his room throughout the trip here in D.C. That's the least we could do for his hospitality. So thanks for tuning in. Stanley Cup Final Edition on the road as the Golden Knights and the Capitals battle for the Stanley Cup. Games three and four coming up here in D.C. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave Podcast. <laughs>